So my wife and I, uh, mo- most of you probably know this, but we have fostered, we, we have four adopted children. We uh, foster cared all of them. And I'm 66, she's 69. And so when I think about that now, I get tired. <laughs> but here's how I look at it. I'm going to wear myself out on this side of eternity. This is where we wear ourselves out. And then once the Lord's done with us, he knows when that is, will be to take us back. So again, I, I, from my heart to yours, I think from the Lord's heart to us, is that we uh, have an incredible, incredible Holy Spirit, Word of God, and the church. And I, I appreciate it takes a whole church to, to really support and do that. And we, I, our church uh, family here is, through you, Rosie, and some others, just um, trying to make inroads into things that scripturally are very clear and spiritually and in every other way are going to impact for all eternity. And, and the other thing my wife, Charlotte, always says is, it, you know, we, we, we foster care and we adopted four children, and it's, we're not the heroes, right? God's the hero. But, and it takes, and, and there's no guarantees in any of it. But who knows what impact it's making? We don't. God does. And so, as with other areas of ministry, we just got to, okay, Lord, what are you calling me to do? And, and sometimes that's the hardest part, isn't it? Like the Lord, we, we just sense in our hearts and it doesn't go away. So, I say if you can't get away from it, you probably need to go toward it. <laughs> if it's something that God's doing. And then to honestly just ask the Lord, because, you know, we, we, are, we do have a lot of things going on. The, the culture we live in is super, super chaotic. And so, there's so many things that demand our attention. And we, and by, in fact, I hadn't thought about this, but we're here this morning as a little oasis to be recharged. Uh, the, the work of the church is to equip the saints for ministry. So that's what we're doing, and we're going to get in the Word of God. And as you know, I've, I say this about every time I get up here. If, if I didn't believe the Spirit of God working through the Word of God changed people's lives, I wouldn't be doing it. Well, we have the Word of God. Every time we open the Bible, we're hearing God speaking to us. It's not, it's not cunningly devised fable, it's not meant, but we're hearing God Himself. So as we go through the Scriptures, as we are right now, the book of Genesis, I'm going to give you ask you to, in your Bibles to turn to Genesis, we're in 21 today, and the main passage I'm going to ask you to have in front of you reading it, I'm going to put all the other passages up there so we can read that, read them, and we're just taking in the Word of God so that He can change our lives. Do you believe that? Amen. Okay, so would you stand in honor of the Word of God? God said He exalts His Word above His name. We're in ex- uh, Genesis chapter 21, we're in Exodus on Wednesday night, so... I've never done two books right next to each other, so am I in Exodus or Genesis on Sunday? We're in Genesis this morning, 21. I want to talk to you about being born free. Last week, we looked at the birth of laughter. Isaac was born. His name means laugh. And so in verse 8 of Genesis 21, so the child grew and was weaned. This is Isaac. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned, probably about two or three years old. Abraham, this is, is his promised son now. He's had Ishmael for probably about 13 years at this point. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, that's Ishmael, scoffing. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. 
For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. He's your son, Abraham. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Father, we thank you again. You've given to us your word. It's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide between the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And Lord, we're asking you, please, have our hearts and have our ears this morning. We might hear what the Spirit's saying. That, Lord, we don't want to be hearers of the word only, but we want to be doers. We ask, Holy Spirit, come. The things I prepared, please break them fresh. Feed us. We're hungry. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And so it goes on and on. We love your word, Lord. And we want to love you by obeying the word. So please bless, I pray, our time now in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated. Some of you probably remember the song, Born Free. Do you remember it? Okay, you're old. (laughs) Born free, (laughs) born free, as free as the wind blows, as free as the grass grows, born free to follow your heart. Now, I don't want to disappoint you, but may I say to you, no one is born free except Jesus. We are all born into the world as sinners, slaves to sin with fallen natures. The only person who is born free is that person who has been born again, the second birth. This story is used by the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians as an allegory. And in that, he's seeking to help them, the Galatians, as well as us, as well as the church, to understand the freedom that we have from sin and from death and from hell only through Jesus Christ. John 8, 31 says this, Jesus. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. Now in our story this morning, Ishmael was the son of Abraham. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. In other words, a slave cannot set themselves free. They're under a master. They're under an owner. In this case, sin itself. So let's go through the narrative briefly, and then I want to go to Galatians, and we'll look at that as well as a few other passages. So we have here the casting out of the son of Hagar. There's a conflict that's arisen between the son of Hagar and Isaac. So the child grew and was weaned, verse 8. Abraham made a great feast, weaned him. And Sarah saw, verse 9, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Conflict. And it's over who's the top dog, (laughs) who's the son. Now, Ishmael is 13 years older than Isaac, and he's the firstborn. He's thinking, I should be the heir apparent. But God said, no, Isaac's going to be the heir apparent. So concerning Ishmael, 
I find it interesting. His name means God will hear. That's his name, Ishmael. But then as you look at the, at the, con, uh, at the verses that we're looking at this morning, as well as go all the way through tw- chapter 25, the name Ishmael is not mentioned. Abraham circumcised Ishmael when he was 13 years old in, com- in obeying the commandment that that would be the sign of the covenant that was God was going to make with Abraham through Isaac. So he said, you got to circumcise. So he, he circumcised Ishmael at 13. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised out of obedience to a promised covenant and all the other men at the same time. It's not until 60 years later when Isaac and Ishmael are burying Abraham that his name even comes up. And the only other time you'll see this Isaac, there are other Ishmael, excuse me, this Ishmael, the only other, there are other Ishmaels in the Bible, but the only other time it's mentioned are in the genealogies that one of them gives us when he died, 137 years old. So the whole name itself isn't even used. We read of him in this passage, verse 9, he's the son of Hagar. So three times it's pointed out he's the son of Hagar, he's the son of this bondwoman, her son, he's the son of this bondwoman, three times. That's who he is, but never the name. Twice to Abraham, he is your son, he's your seed. So we're given that, uh, that he is also the son of Abraham. Six times, he's the lad. And three times, he is the boy. I believe this is a note from silence. Ishmael is not the promised son. Ishmael, in a sense, is not going to be heard as that from God. Isaac is the promised son through whom God will send us freedom from sin, death, and hell. So Sarah considered the son of this bondwoman a threat to the promise of God to Abraham, to the inheritance that was going to be only through Isaac. And so what does she do? She says, here is a problem, a threat. It must be dealt with decisively, immediately, and permanently. And that's a part of the picture we're getting here. Sarah is saying, he's got to go because there's this problem between them. There's going to be this ongoing conflict of who is the heir apparent. So drastic measures were needed. Sarah takes them and listen, God confirms them. Verse 11, the matter was very displeasing to Abraham's, in Abraham's sight because of his son. He loved his son. He said when he's, When God said, you're going to have a son, to Abraham, you're going to have a son, he's laughing, saying, yeah, right. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So Abraham naturally loved Ishmael. Now, Sarah was wrong when she told Abram to marry Hagar. That was a work of the flesh. That was man seeking to fulfill the things that only God was going to do. But here, she's very right when she says to Abraham, Cast out the bondwoman. She can't stay. Has to be immediate and permanent. So verse 13, excuse me, verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. So he's, he's really, Abraham is distraught, not only over Ishmael, but then Hagar. Now, as we looked at Hagar, I was fascinated with just what an amazing woman that she is. That's back in a few studies. So he's broken up about this. He's displeased. He's saying, no, no, I don't want to do that, which would be very natural. 
But notice, whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. She's right in what she's saying, Abraham. Yet I will also, now this is interesting, I will also make, verse 13, a nation of the son of the bomb because he is your seed. So God is confirming it. He's comforting Abraham in it, this gut-wrenching displeasure that's going on. It's a big deal. It's naturally you would expect it to be. So you have the human side of things here in the context of God working out his plan to give us freedom through Isaac and his seed. And there always will be the human side and the divine side mingled together in God's comfort, in God's commitment, and in God's compassion. Always. So Abraham committed his son and the bondwoman to God. It's the right thing to do. Verse 14. Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Now, I don't, I remember, in fact, when we, we were doing foster care several years ago, my son uh, Trevor was probably like six or seven years old, and we had a foster care girl, little girl in our, Desiree was her name, in our home. And we had her for, I don't even remember, it's been too long ago. <laughs> I can't remember how long I had my kids. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the, the, it worked out that the mom came to, to be re- reunited and take Desiree. And so here's Trevor, our, I think he was five or six. He's standing out on our sidewalk. And Desiree's in the car with her mom. And my little five-year-old is just crying because Desiree's gone. You know, there's that human element. The human need many times to commit these things to God. Knowing that he is compassionate and he is good. And it's difficult, it's emotional to say it the least. He's casting out his son in obedience to God. And that's always the right thing to do. To do the things we do in obedience to God. In fact, we can't afford not to. But we're not just sort of throwing it into the, into the measureless gaps. We're putting them into the hands of a compassionate, good God. And here's the thing that for you who are doing foster care, you who are adopting, you who have kids, listen, God has put into our hands that we might be compassionate, that he might, we might be for a segment of time for them, the compassion of God, the commitment of God, the comfort of God in their lives. And so things not only are difficult, they get desperate. Verse 15, and the water in, in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down. Now remember, he's 14 or 15 at this point, maybe 16. She went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. She, so she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. She's saying it's all over. Done. I don't want to see him die. But notice, God called to Hagar, and God heard the voice of the lad. You see, it says there that she said to herself. And you know, all of us know what that's like. There's this hopeless aloneness feel. Like God's not even listening. 
But here, he heard the voice of the lad. Now, the lad is Ishmael. And this lad, for at least 13 or 14 years, saw a dad who prayed. He saw his dad living out his faith. He prayed. He interceded for Sodom. He saw that. And so it's no wonder he's praying. He's seen the example. He's exercising himself now in the midst of this desperate situation. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. So she lifts her voice. The voice of the lad is heard. He's praying, arise. This is beautiful. It's beautiful. Lift up the lad and hold him. He's 16 or 17. Lift up the lad and hold him. It's the compassion of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God to Hagar. And you know she had no problem doing that. She's the mom. And oh, how we need our moms. Can you hear an amen? Sometimes just to lift us up and hold us. I will make him a great nation. Now, he had already promised his way back to Abraham a long time ago. I'm going to make him a great nation. That's the compassion of God, the commitment of God. And then, notice, God opened her eyes, and she saw. You know, often, we have to hear from God first before we see what God's doing. He opens her eyes, sees a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave this lad, gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So she was an Egyptian, returning now there. She gets a wife for him. She's a mom, loves him, and is with him. Now, God is with him. His mom is with him. So the wilderness of Paran is on the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt, gone back to Egypt. The wife is from the land of Egypt. She was an Egyptian. So Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations, which has been problematic to the present day, which is what happens with the works of the flesh. The Muslims recognize Ishmael as the prophet and ancestor of Muhammad. Now notice verse 10 again. Let's look at this allegory. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. Now, that seems pretty rude. There are four possible ways that we may think can resolve the conflict. Number one, that Isaac could have been sent away himself. But you see, that's to reject the promise of God. That Isaac and Ishmael, number two, could have lived together. But what that is, is a pseudo-peace because they can't. They're vying. Ishmael. Constant conflict. Ishmael, number three, could have changed his person. He could have pretended to be more agreeable when in his heart that's not what's going on. Or fourth, as happened... Cast out Ishmael because God said Isaac is the exclusive only son of promise. Now, there's only one solution. It's number four. 
God confirmed that. Paul, in this, in this allegory, is helping us, is describing this so that we understand where our real freedom comes from. See, the Galatians were in danger of turning back to the law as a means of righteousness that God will accept and thus we're saved. Or turning back to the law for salvation. That was the problem. They hadn't done it yet, but Paul's addressing that problem to the Galatian church. So to turn back the law for righteousness, to turn back to the law for salvation, number one is to reject the promise of God. There's only one place that we find our righteousness imputed, and that's through Jesus Christ, through faith, by grace through faith in Jesus. In other words, it's to reject the gospel. To turn back to the law for salvation or for righteousness is to deny the impossibility to have peace with God through any other means. You can't do it. That peace with God, to say there's another means, is to deny the cross. You cannot have the peace of God until you first have peace with God. And the only place that's found is in Christ on the cross through whom we've been reconciled to him through the cross. Aren't you thankful for Jesus' sacrifice? You cannot have peace with God except that God provides the means by which we find peace. To turn back to the law for righteousness, to turn back to the law for our salvation, is to deny the nature of our flesh. It's to deny that the flesh is hostile to the spirit. Here it is. It's to deny our sinful nature. It's to deny our sinfulness. That we're totally, de- the, the flesh is, you can't um, renovate the flesh. You've got to kill it. It has to be put to death has to be put behind us. The old nature has to be done away with. And thank God (laughs) that when Jesus died on the cross, that's exactly what he provided for us. All things have what? Passed away. Behold, all things become new. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now that's supernatural. It's miraculous. But listen, it's the real deal. So to turn back to the law is to reject the gospel, it's to deny the cross, it's to deny our sinfulness, but then it's also to reject the promised only Son who can set us free, as we read, it's Jesus. So it's to deny, again, it's to deny the gospel, the bookends are the gospel. The gospel contains the cross by which we have peace with God. The gospel contains the answer to our sinfulness that Jesus provided for us and also gives to us, again, the Spirit of God, born again of the Spirit. We'll look at some scriptures this morning. So, Galatians, there were the Judaizers. They were the false teachers who insisted that a person must keep the law to be accepted by God and saved. You can read Acts 15, huge deal in the early church which it needed to be. This would include restrictions, only certain foods and drinks that were quote-unquote kosher. It meant religiously keeping certain festivals and ceremonies and Sabbaths. And there was an ongoing 
do's and do nots, which is called legalism. Now, history records that it is more often the unbelieving but religious people in the nominal church that piously promote their legalism of the dead. They're often inoculated against the gospel by their subjectively measured, listen, good works. So I'm a moral person, of course. And often that's what they're banking on as far as acceptance by God, forgiveness of sin, and salvation. But listen, it's not by works of righteousness. It's understanding that my whole nature has been destroyed by sin. I have nothing to offer God for my sin. I need a Savior. I need a mediator. I need a great high priest. I need a lamb. We're looking at that in Exodus in a couple weeks. The lamb. Passover. It was the Jews who killed the prophets, not the Gentiles. It was the Pharisees and other religious leaders who opposed Jesus and instigated his execution. Paul's fiercest opponents were fanatically religious Judaizers. We're not looking at a religion of works. We're looking at a relationship of faith. So let's track a little bit with Paul in Galatians. Be prefacing the allegory. Paul writes, there's a lot here, and I'm going to run through it with you. If you, if you would continue, just let's read it. Grace to you and peace from... Now, when you see capitalized words, that's me doing my little word searches. So I didn't change any of that. So you're getting my, my capitalization because I... Grace, I want to see where's grace. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Would you say, would you say amen? It's Jesus who's done this. Continue. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. In other words, it's not one of the same kind. There is no other gospel like our gospel. It's not one that's similar. It's not. It's completely different. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Shall be justified. So Paul's just sort of laying this out over and over as he goes up, he's going to get up this allegory. He's saying, you cannot be saved, you cannot be justified, you can't do it unless you have someone who will impart it to you. Salvation, justification, all that. And Jesus did that. Chapter 3. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? In other words, we receive the new birth, receive the Holy Spirit by putting our faith in what Jesus accomplished for us and receiving from God a new birth, a new life, a new spirit. I'm saying, yeah. 
chapter, uh, verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of life? No, did you earn it? Did you deserve it? Keep going. Verse 10, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. In other words, the law did not come to make us righteous. The law did not come to save us. The law came to show us our need because we're unrighteous, to show us our need because we're sinful. We cannot, the law is a mirror that reflects back the righteousness of God about which we all fall way short. Now, now to Abraham, verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now notice clearly, he does not say and to seeds, but as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. Through Isaac and his descendants came the Messiah, the promised seed who will give us the freedom. And I say this, and this I say, that the law, was, which was 430 years later, after the whole promise, because the promise to Abraham was unconditional and unilateral, one way. The law came in, that was not, as we'll see in a moment. And I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of the transgression, because of transgressions, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made and was appointed through angels by the hand of me. No, this was a mediated covenant. It, it was not unconditional. It was conditional. It was two-way. In fact, it was third party. It came through angels. And it was a mediated because God gave the priesthood, all that. The law said you need a savior. The law said you can't mediate it. You need someone to mediate it for you. And God was building the picture and building the picture and building the picture. All the sacrifices, all the priesthood, all of that stuff. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. The priests that came, they were ministering daily. But every sacrifice was not the removal of sin. It was the reminder of sin. Our God is fantastic. For years, he calls out. Did he call Israel out to say, okay, you're mine, and to hell with the rest? Excuse my language. No. He called Israel out so that they could understand who he is and come to him and worship him and know him. And it's the same thing with the church. God's called us out. Not that we're this, we're this elite group. No, he calls us out so that we might go back in and they might see who Christ is and what he's done. And God lays it out for years and years through the sacrifices and all the priesthood. And, and then Israel himself would forsake him and he sent them into, into captivity to deal with them and chasten them. But listen, listen, listen. God's not done with Israel yet. He's not. He is coming back again. And when he does, they're going to mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They're going to look at him and say, what are the meaning of these wounds in your hands? He's going to say, those are the wounds I received in the house of my friends. They're going to realize what they did. They're going to bow before him as a broken nation and realize what they did to Jesus, Messiah. And so this whole law thing came not to make us righteous, but to, again, show the need for a mediator, the need for a sacrifice, the need for a savior. And Jesus came. And, you know, if there's no Jesus, all that stuff is just a shadow. It's just nothing. It doesn't even make sense. But it, excuse me, it is a shadow of Christ. You have Christ. All of a sudden, all that makes sense. All the substance of Christ is what causes the shadow of all that Jesus all that God gave to the nation Israel. 
I'm getting off here a little bit, excited, but here we go. Uh, Revelation, so uh, Galatians 3.21. Is the law then against the promises of God? No, the law was given so that we could understand our need for the promise of God. Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confirmed all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who what? Work really hard and get it together. To those who are so righteous, go to church every Sunday, sit in the chair there, they serve in the children's ministry, they do all these wonderful things, they're very moral. No, it doesn't say. It says, might be given those who believe. Do you believe that our righteousness, our salvation, our sanctification, our glorification that's coming is because of what Jesus did and only because of what Jesus did? Did I I read that? Yeah, okay. Next one. Chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, what? To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive, here it is, adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's intimate. It's intimate. When we enter into this relationship with God, it's an intimate thing that happens. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. He who the son sets free is free indeed. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. It's all ours. The heaping up of these treasures are ours Because of Jesus. So here's the allegory. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? And here we go. Let's let's just read through it. It is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic, allegorical, picture? For there are two covenants, The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which notice now is, he's talking presently, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Now we, brethren, as Isaac, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is again now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, my, so then brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So the question that comes to mind is, who's your mommy? Who birthed? You have Hagar, the bondwoman, and you have Sarah, the free woman. You have Ishmael, a son of natural birth, born of man's work, born after the flesh. You have Isaac, a son, a supernatural birth, born miraculously, born by God's promise. You have the old covenant of law. You have the new covenant of grace. You have the earthly Jerusalem, which in Paul's day was in bondage to Rome as well as others. 
spiritual and political bondage, which now is. Look at it. But then you have this new Jerusalem thing that's coming along, which I better be careful I don't get into. And then, so basically you have the Judaism, which is the religion of works, and you have Christianity, which is the relationship of faith. What do you want? Who's your mommy? Who's through whom you were believing? Hagar, the bondwoman, stands for the old covenant enacted at Sinai. She birthed Ishmael, who stands for religious Judaism. It's centered in earthly Jerusalem. Sarah, the free woman, stands for the new covenant enacted at Calvary through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? That's the birth that we need. That's the heritage that is ours by faith. Now, Hagar, if she's our mother, we were born naturally, physically, and earthly, and are therefore still slaves of sin. If Sarah is our mother, we've been born miraculously, spiritually, and heavenly. And may I add, eternally. We are born free. The cross makes that clear. Jesus died to set us free. He is the son who can set us free. Whereas Hagar is the law that makes very clear that we cannot free ourselves. So Galatians 5.1. Stand therefore faster in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. God help us not to fall from grace. We have been saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is what? The gift of God. We were once aliens separated from the covenants of God, but in Christ we're reconciled to God. We are born free through the second birth. We are born free through the new covenant. We are born free because we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's our freedom. That's how we're born free. Born free with the second birth. I'm a child of God. He gives me the right to say I am a child of God because I believed in him. The Isaac was born supernaturally according to God's promise. The miracle of the second birth is supernatural according to God's promise. Born free through the word of God. Born free through the gospel. I have a bunch of scriptures, but we don't have the time this morning. I'm not going to go into them. But if you want my notes, I'll be happy to send them to you. But what did Jesus say? Marvel not that I said to you what? Must be born again. Nicodemus comes to him at night. Says, Lord, you're a, you're a ruler, a teacher. So, and Jesus didn't even answer the question he was talking about. He just said, Mar- you, you must be born again, Nicodemus. He said, well, how can that happen? How can I, can I crawl into my mother's womb and be born a second time? Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you see the effect of the wind, but you can't see the wind. That's what happens. It's supernatural. It's miraculous. It's eternal. We were born children of God. We have the right to call ourselves children of God. Born again by the gospel, by believing it. We had this second birth. Born free through the new covenant. Listen, I am loved by God. Unconditionally and unilaterally. That's the covenant. I'm chastened by God because he loves me. 
Now, I don't necessarily like to think about that part of the relationship. But you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to us as sons. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And then he says, scourges every son whom he receives. If you're without chastening, God's not dealing with you as a son. But if you're chastened, know this, God loves you. It's like the parents saying, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. you go, yeah, right. And they're screaming, just one, just one. Nope, two. It was a two, two, slap, a two spank offense, two. No, no, just one, just one. No, two. Wham, wham, done. And you know what I love about that? When we were raising our kids, we spanked them. But God gave us the padding here for that, I believe, for that purpose. The redness of the wound is going to drive sin away. But once that chasing takes place, it's, it's over. It's not this lingering guilt. This ling- it's over. The, the, the chasing has taken place. I've done what I need to do as a parent who loves my son, loves my daughter, wants to see them back on track. So I chasten them. We correct them. If you don't correct your children, you don't love them. It's natural. That's what we do. So Paul, in writing the book, book of Hebrews chapter 12, so don't despise the chase of the Lord because that only tells you he loves you. It's relationship. Now that, I'm kept by God. The new covenant. I'm kept by God. He's the one that, in fact, I tell the Lord often, you know, Lord, you took me, so I'm your problem. You chose, I'm your problem. And God says, I'm happy to make you my problem. I love you. I'll keep you. You're secure in my hands. You're secure in my direction. You're secure in my chastening. Born free, I'm established in the grace of God through faith in Jesus. So, from my own personal desire, I want to know this freedom like I've never known it before. That I am set free by Jesus Christ from not only the penalty of sin, and not only the power of sin, but I have been set free eventually from the very presence of sin. All because I believe the gospel. I believe the new covenant. I believe in Jesus. Can we pray? Father, we thank you again for your love for us, which has just been turned up a notch for me just in reading and thinking through these scriptures. That you so loved us that you gave Jesus for us. And we don't want to take that for granted. We never want to, Lord, just, you know, sort of assume on anything. We want to be bowing before you, knowing that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. We were reconciled through the cross. We've been saved by grace through faith. And that, Lord, we stand in this grace that you've given to us. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the glory of God. So, Lord, we're going to, if you would mind, would you just stand and let's just worship him together in closing.